0: Welcome to the Melanin Medics Podcast. Join us as we delve deep into topical conversations, share real life experiences, and celebrate notable achievements of current and future doctors of African heritage. Listen in as we amplify black voices in medicine and surgery. This Black History Month edition proudly celebrates trailblazing black doctors, and we ask them, why did you fall in love with medicine? So hello, everyone. Today, we'll be brought by myself, Michaela Cameron, and Taniola Adeboye. We are really delighted to be interviewing Christine Matoko. Miss Matoko is a Kenyan born academic neurosurgical registrar in Nottingham. She has a passion for learning, teaching and mentoring. Impressively, Ms. Matoko has recently completed a doctorate in paediatric neuro-oncology and she is now working towards becoming a fully trained neurosurgeon and creating the life that she wants to live. She loves running, traveling, eating and working towards her black belt in Taekwondo. Christine, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. Uh,
1: oh, thank you for having me. It's a real honor.
0: Thank you. So, to start off with our Black History Month podcast series, we will first like to ask you who is your biggest mentor and why?
1: Um, so who is my biggest mentor? I would say my mom. Um, but I've been blessed to have different mentors at different points in my life. So I've taken the very cynic route to neurosurgery. Um <laughs> I did my F1, F2 in Blackburn and there I met a very um, interesting <laughs> surgeon called, um, a very interesting upper GI surgeon who okay. used to call me Rihanna because the very first time he met me, I had like a striped t-shirt on, a striped oh, top gosh. one, black and white. I don't even know if Rihanna ever wore something like that. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Mr. Fubar. So he was Caribbean. He was fantastic. He was just... Um, I think I just love the fact he was himself no matter what yeah Yeah. and um, he basically sat me down and was like okay what do you want to do I said I want to be a surgeon Um, Mm -hmm. he said okay this is what you have to do and at that point no one had ever spoken to me about MRCS or Mm -hmm. the courses you need to do or anything like that I was Mm -hmm. completely um, yeah googly-eyed and completely like naive to everything Mm. Um, and then after that I went to Cardiff for core surgical training Mm -hmm. and that was mainly because um, I was nervous about committing myself to neurosurgery on the offset without having done a job in it yeah I did um, core surgical training with initially just four months of neurosurgery in it and loved the job Um, I did a bit of orthopedics as well and during my neurosurgery block, I actually ended up extending it for the further year. So I ended up doing 16 months at the time. Wow, that's been um, nice. Yeah. And I, I fell in love with this. Oh, I hope she doesn't hear this. So embarrassing. <laughs> but this female neurosurgeon they're called Caroline Hayhurst, who's just a force. Um so yeah. mm-hmm. even though I wouldn't say she was in the, you know, the um what's the word? The typical mentor. Mm -hmm. Um, she was kind of a role model so she helped she helped me with that Um, but in terms of wanting to do the PhD I always wanted to do that and somehow um, one of the neurosurgeons here in Nottingham kind of found his way onto my interview panel I don't know how it happened but came on the day um, and he was there and he became my supervisor then so he's Mr MacArthur Mm. Um, So, he was also one of my mentors. And then, just as I was finishing up the job, I met another neurosurgeon who became became another mentor. But there's two particular people I have to mention. Um, One is Andrea Lalade, whom I'm sure you've heard of. Mm. Um, He's a neurosurgeon consultant in Preston. And he, I think I met him like ages ago when I was F2 at some Manchester conference and I presented something on bilateral Mm. facial nerve palsy. Mm. And he, um, he was like, Christine, you want to do neurosurgery, don't you? And he sat me down. <laughs> you know, he's that kind of person that never forgets your name, never forgets That's your so face. Yeah. yeah. And sure. up until today, we're still talking and he keeps me on track. And then there's someone else that I've um, come to rely on called Beverly Cheseram. She's a British trained neurosurgeon, but is now a professor, assistant professor in um Kenya wow and yeah she is just yeah she's one of those people who just leave you in awe but also empower you to to make you feel like you can so yeah Yeah. I've been blessed to have a lot of mentors yeah you seem to
2: have a lot of um, really impactful people that you've met along your journey
1: yeah Yeah. it's been really lucky I have to say um there's also been the bad but there's definitely been good everywhere as well so
0: I think, Christine, what you said regarding having different mentors at different times is Mm. actually quite important um, because as your training progresses and flourishes even more, Mm. what you need from the system or from the ecostructure, it it does change.
1: Yeah, Um, I
0: think what you said initially about when you first started, you had no idea about much in terms of like even MRCS and... Mm -hmm. I, it's important to touch on that hidden curriculum mm. that mm. we would not really be privy to unless you have mentors along yeah. the way to open that door and shine that light on those little bits that you may not have excelled on yeah. if not for the fact that you have supportive mentors yeah. so um, for the listeners I would say having a mentor having mentors plural mm. I think is really important it um, is
1: and I actually think what you just said about the hidden curriculum there's something to be said about knowing someone because yeah. when I've spoken to somehow as a non I found myself in the boot camps they only usually allow trainees to go but just talk my way into it and everyone I met was kind of coached into the job so mm. yeah you kind of learn that um, in as much as um, people like to think medicine is objective it really mm. isn't it is mm. very subjective it is very um who you know matters it's um, <laughs> true and I think that's the other struggle that we fight that sometimes you don't even know about <laughs> um, yeah.
2: until quite late on but yeah mm. thank, mm-hmm. you. Wow. thank you wow um so got, like winding back a bit then uh, mm. to maybe a quite a few years ago now um what moment um, in your journey um, really affirmed your decision to go into medicine?
1: Oh, that is going a <laughs> <laughs> Um What moment? I would say, um, so in my school, I was always gifted in the sciences. In mm-hmm. fact, I, I think I was gifted in everything except uh, music, formal music, reading and that kind of thing. I was very yeah. creative, but not like, where um, you have to read note music and things but Mm -hmm. I loved the sciences and um, I got the opportunity to um, shadow and work with children who had um, back then I didn't know what it was I just thought these big tumors in their heads but it turned out to be Burkitt's lymphoma Mm.
2: Um,
1: and it was the Kenyatta National Hospital which was the biggest tertiary hospital in East Africa back then I think we might still be Mm-hmm. um and it was it was incredible you know kids are different to adults in the way you know they're just not little adults but they also don't have the psychological burden as much as adults would with their disease okay, so yeah. it was it was just eye-opening the kind of um insights these kids had you know how they you know, would have such determination from chemo to chemo, from treatment to treatment. Even when things went wrong, they were like, "Okay, then what next?" You know. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think it was when my little sister started fainting, and no one could really find a reason or a cause that I started to kind of um, realize, "Ah, I want to figure this out." And I think. While I'm the softer, I'm quite soft-spoken to some people. I'm sure my husband would say otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm quite soft-spoken. And before, when I was younger, I was very, um, my mom would say delicate or fragile. I really hate being described (laughs) as fragile. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so I, you know, I was the least person to least expected person to deal well with crisis. But when my mm-hmm. mom, when my sister would faint, I was the one who's like, okay, do this, let's do this. Whereas everyone else is freaking out in the family, yes. um, I kind of Found a way to stay calm and just figure out, okay, what happens when someone faints? Oh, yeah, I remember you need to lift up the legs. Don't really know why, but we're doing it anyway. Keep her safe, keep her on her side, make sure she doesn't vomit, that kind of thing. Mm. And I think it's things like that that made me decide I wanted to do medicine. But Mm. I actually had an uncle who runs a small hospital in a town called Nakuru. Mm. And he, my mom spoke to him um, to come and inspire me into medicine. And when he came, he was like, Tina, why do you want to do this job? You know, why do you want to do a thankless job? And he really made it, painted it completely, you know, thankless and hard work and poor pay. Yeah, and he was like, <laughs> trying to... I don't know what his motives were. And Looking mm. back now, I think it was probably to just make sure that I knew what I was doing, why mm. I was doing it, and I was doing it for me. Um, but, yeah, he in a reverse kind of way from my decision like ah, this is what I want to do this is Mm. how I want to do it I didn't know I wanted to be a surgeon back then but in terms of medicine I think that's what honed it in for me
2: yeah and then since Mm. then actually making that decision and maybe applying to medical school and beginning training Mm. has there been a moment within your training or your career that's made you think yeah I've made the right decision I'm in the right place
1: yeah um there's been many moments. I think the last one was even the simplest of operations where a patient actually turns to, any, turns to you and says, thank you, you know, mm. you were, even even in terms of saying that my voice was soothing to her in a time when she was worried. Mm. And, mm. and that particularly stroke, what's the word? God, I can't speak anymore, struck a tone with me because in my um, fifth year, I had an ED consultant tell me that no one was ever going to listen to me because of my voice. Right. And I kind of thought, yeah, and this was like right. at the end, you know, when they do those, um, those feedback forms and they sure. sign you off officially. And I thought, Such Shit, a how personal I? Bit of feedback. yeah, yeah, I know. And I was like, so what do you want me to do? Testosterone? Like, what? <laughs> at least let it be constructive you're gonna tell me way yeah. I speak I'm not professional you know something like that but the, my voice like what can I do about that and I've been mm. waiting years it's never broken so mm.
0: this is what it Life is so. change now Christine
1: exactly <laughs> you just embrace it well, mm. I actually think the fact that my I was the only female reg as well at the time so yeah um I think the fact that I had more um I had more of a nurturing kind of, um, what's the word, like character in comparison to my colleagues. Whereas, you know, most ward rounds is business. My ward rounds do mm-hmm. a bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't enjoy ward rounds, but I like talking to people. So it was what always yeah. got me in trouble. But I think it was when that patient said to me, like, yeah, you you made it you made the experience that much less um, scary. Like mm. she kept me in the anesthetic room while they were putting her to sleep, which is unusual. Usually they kick the surgeons out as soon as, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So I think that was it. It's little moments like that that make you think, yeah, this is what I want to do. Mm. And that can be your
0: strength, Christine. Yeah. Like, you know, you're more patient-centered. And we're always told to be an excellent surgeon. You should be an excellent doctor and yeah. think more holistically no matter what so mm-hmm. your being female being a female neurosurgeon how you will manage your patients mm. your softer voice may be a minor criticism to some but it might be your, it is it will be your strength so, yeah
1: and it has been to be and honest. You stayed
0: authentic yeah. Good. yeah. I mean it
1: took me a while to get to the the, the authenticity of it, but yeah. Oh, you know when yeah. you have to I'm sure you've got, you've both done it where you have to kind of code switch and you think yeah. you know, tell us more about that, Christine. <laughs> oh <Code> <laughs> For our listeners. Oh, what is
2: code
0: switching? Oh well question.
1: Uh, <laughs> um, I mean I'm not an expert <laughs> but I think I've always kind of lived in a place in my head where i've not fitted in and that was yeah. even when i was back home
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, because i don't speak like a typical kenyan i don't have a typical kenyan accent mm. so i've never been kenyan enough i've never been this enough i've never been that enough so mm. it's always like i've always kind of i don't know what the word is um not yeah adapted to the situation mm-hmm. and it was when i realized that you know, y- whatever you do, if this old boys club is always going to be there, and you're mm. never going to fit into the old boys club because you're not an old mm.
2: boys club. Mm.
1: And then something happened when I turned 30, and I was just like, F it!" Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something. which lit- I can't tell you what what exactly it was, but the light bulb came on. And it was just like, you know what? I mean, if they're gonna mess with you anyway, you might as well be yourself. Yeah. Okay. You know, um. So I feel like, yeah, the code switching, but it's, it's effort and it's not even necessary. I think, mm. uh, like you're saying about like my voice being my power, I think um, you as a person, because there's only one you, mm-hmm. and there's things that you will always be better at than someone else. Um, yeah. And I think it was when I realized that, um, you know, I can network with anyone, I can talk mm. to anyone, you know, mm. I have no no feelings of oh my god this big guy like maybe if it was Beyonce that's a different thing (laughs) when we're talking about like your surgical heroes um I think you know that's me being me has allowed me to transcend a lot of barriers Mm. um and just go to people's offices and say hi this is what I want to do can you help me no Mm -hmm. you know who can you know kind of thing and just being like So I always tell, like, my medical students who I've mentored in the past, like, especially as a medical student, you have such power. You don't even know that medical student (laughs) card. My God. You can go anywhere.
2: Really? You can literally,
1: yeah, you can walk into any room and just be like, I'm here to learn. Show me. And people Mm -hmm. will love you. Mm -hmm. you. So Mm -hmm. I honestly believe, like when you realize you don't have to code switch and mm. whether it be that you'll be branded the mad black woman I don't care you know mm. I'm the only black woman there anyway so, that's <laughs> yeah. All, no, um, so be it.
2: yeah
1: exactly so you just have to live your life and I think that's where um yeah it, it might work against you I wouldn't say it doesn't because then it's harder to fit in to mm to certain things that are cultural norms here that you might not necessarily ascribe to but yeah, yeah I think it's mm. necessary and you live a, a lot happier life a lot mm, more yeah. happier mm. life.
2: Yeah. Mm. you sound happy <laughs> you do. You do. yeah and I, I mean, <laughs>
0: You do, you do, and you look time. happy as well. Oh, thank thank smiling, you. you look lovely. My angry vein is rested. popping
1: though. I have no, a vein no. that pops out in intense emotion. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's the most
1: oh, annoying thing, but yeah, I I honestly think like getting to a point in my life where I realised. Um, you know it doesn't matter what people say as long as I'm professional I do my job I look after my patients and you you take an ownership of your patients that's kind of scary like um you like I'd go home thinking about them wake up thinking about them you know mm. even for my poor husband like I'm I'm sure I've, sli- I've sleep talked about my patients in the past oh, gosh yeah I have and he's just replied and let me go <laughs> so yeah I think mm. um the code switching thing is real but sometimes yeah. you have to like honestly speaking sometimes you have to Maybe not um code switch necessarily, but you have to pick um pick your moments, I would say moments
2: of when to be you. yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: And people yeah. you trust as well.
0: Absolutely. So I had to I had to quickly Google the official definition mm. just for us. <laughs> <What does it laughs> a neutral definition for those who are listening in on this podcast. And so code switching is coined by the person of colour community or people of colour, mm. specifically centered around the black experience. And it's when black people switch the way they speak, act and interact with colleagues within the company they work mm. for and for a long term for a long time, sorry code switching has been a survival tactic so I think we've touched on this so so important particularly for this black history mm-hmm. because a lot of the historic surgeons doctors the ones who have been the most influential the most impactful and the ones who have affected change I think they most of them have stayed true for themselves mm-hmm. and they may have caused a bit of ruffling of feathers but the end product the end goal hmm. is what we talk about today yeah. and i think as long as we can just show that we can be black yeah. but also diversification is yeah.
1: very important yeah. mm. so
0: that will help change the yeah. the culture the workplace culture
1: yeah. the old
0: boys and... club the old boys club <laughs> so really, but surely.
1: i should show you my i don't have it with me but I have a picture. When I went to get my MRCS diploma, <laughs> it's stark. It's, it's literally oh, no. me, little old me, and all these old white men looking at me. <laughs> of course. Like, how the hell did you let her in? You should see <laughs> some of their faces. It's it's honestly...
2: Yeah. I mean, don't I, feel free to send it over to us. Maybe we can have it on one of our social pages. Oh, seriously? <laughs> that would be actually a good idea, Teddy. I, I
1: will. It's, it's quite stark. But you know, the other thing about, like, code switching is I found... I think maybe it's to do with mentors as well. When you find your people, then you kind of meld into yourself anyway. And bits of you come out. So I think, especially in my most recent job, Mm -hmm. um, people started calling me Tina. And Tina's quite... it's almost intrusive to me if a stranger calls me tina because it's what my family call me it's what Mm. my i don't even think very close friends necessarily call me tina a lot of them Mm. still call me christine Mm. but um i think i said one of them could call me tina and suddenly everyone is calling me tina I was a bit like, but I thought, <laughs> you know maybe this is a barrier that I need to allow. You know, yeah. <laughs> bit of discomfort yeah. to let people get to know you as you are. And yeah. honestly, I didn't. I couldn't have melded better with a, a group of people that I would have previously thought there's no way. That's so good. so okay. I think it's both ways. I think when mm. you're ready to forget about the old boys club and just be you anyway mm-hmm. and they're ready to realize that ah this is you know something interesting someone interesting that you know is worth getting to know and working mm-hmm. with Then yeah it's win-win mm-hmm. Good. yeah and I think
0: you trust what's authentic and what's yeah. true and honest yeah. um so I was doing a bit of research I'm a bit of a research geek I do apologize and no, I, couldn't any, <laughs> I couldn't find any UK numbers but I, I did see on the Association of American Medical College um and only 19% of academic surgical um, trainees are female. And you are not only a, a pediatric, you know, you're not only a neurosurgeon, but you've just completed a doctorate in pediatric neuro oncology. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that puts you in the minority of the minority group. So, you know, <laughs> congratulations Thank for doing that. You. I'm sure it was very, very hard.
1: Thank you. Um, and you've so achieved
0: much. it. But what led you to choose a doctorate in paediatric neuro-oncology?
1: Um, hmm. <laughs> Honestly, I think it was that when I, when I set out to do it, I think I decided upon this maybe 10 years ago that I was going to do this. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do it in. But I mm-hmm. also knew that I wanted to be able to run, um, run an academic neurosurgery department back home. So that's wow. always been my my drive. Wow. Okay. Um, but also I felt like once you've got, you know, once you equip yourself with certain things, then you're a badass and you can't be touched. <laughs> I, think, I think that kind of crazy thinking is what pushed me through, but also to give myself um, more options because even though I know medicine lends itself to a variety of careers, I know I want to do neurosurgery. I remember the first time I saw a brain in a living person and I spazzed out and (sighs) I still remember the moment. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's what I know I want to do for the rest of my life, but I also know that I love teaching and I love figuring things out, but Mm -hmm. I, I felt like until I understand how they get to a clinical trial, I'll never understand how to just what the scheme is, what what's happening. There's so mm. much acad- academic red tape between an idea and when it actually comes into clinic. And yeah. the fact that, you know, it had taken me so long already to figure out that, ah, oh, there's innings in neurosurgery or in surgical practice in the UK. I felt like doing a PhD as a basic, um, basic translational research Mm. would give me the insight I would need to then be able to run clinical trials but then Mm -hmm. later on I was told oh you know here in the UK clinical trials aren't really led by neurosurgeons they're led by Mm. oncologists I was Mm. like oh okay well (laughs) but that's not in every that's not the case in um you know everywhere in the world so yeah And you know, um, we're used to doing things that are uncomfortable and challenging and yeah, but it was enjoyable. I would just Mm -hmm. say, um, I think I wanted to, yeah, be the best I could be. And I didn't know how to do that without doing some research. Um, and I wanted to do something I could see through, because you know how it is when you start a research project as an f one, you move on to the next thing, and you know it's half done or half baked. you hand it over to someone else to take over and it never gets done. yeah, and that that kind of cycle kept happening, and it really frustrated me. So I was like, you know, this yeah. is what I want to do. Take the time out to do it. sweet so talk some people to make it possible so that we got a scholarship and some awards to help me through the way. And, yeah.
2: Yeah. How long did it take you then? Like, how long did you take out?
1: Um, so, I was doing, I started it in October 2016, and mm. I did it until, um, so three full years of research. but I was locuming throughout which I think kind of made it a bit more difficult just because you're not you know it's not all you're doing you're also doing all the other stuff yeah and you still have to keep up your validation still have to keep up your appraisal, still have to do all the courses so Mm. but I loved I loved I absolutely loved it and I would recommend it to anyone it's not the kind of thing I would do to get points and maybe that's why I've taken the scene for 10 year surgery because I'm not yeah. thinking about points every you know with everything I do mm, but it's yeah. something I wanted to do it's something I wanted to understand and it opens your world it really mm, does yeah, yeah. and yeah.
0: can I ask did you find it easy entering into the academic world because some junior trainees feel sometimes intimidated to start off a process in yeah. academia. Um, but how did you find it
1: <laughs> I'm gonna have to I mean, she probably wouldn't listen to this, my main supervisor.
0: <laughs>
1: it was difficult. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole first year, I was basically fighting, being um, being allowed to actually study, being allowed to just do what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, because my supervisor had had um, negative... Um, interactions with surgeons in the past and there's always this Mm -hmm. this um, you know subtle maybe not so subtle in some instances but rivalry between academia and medics Mm -hmm. yeah and part of it as I got to see when you're there you get to see things that you probably would never come to know of or Mm -hmm. understand but I got to see that as a medic who wants to do academia you can actually get promoted through the ranks quite fast
2: okay
1: in comparison to a pure scientist because they have to do a lot of a lot more years before they can get promoted to a certain um, level so I think that's partly where the rivalry comes and also there's this there's this um, idea that some academics have that we have it easier when it comes to jobs and and things like that so I think getting into academia wasn't easy because I also had to get a full-time scholarship as an international student back then and that's a lot of money for for a science project that has consumables and everything but I honestly believe like if you believe in what you want to do because you have to sell it to people and you just apply I think the application that actually got me a scholarship I did it half-heartedly I was I think by then I'd done um, a few applications and I was downhearted. I was like, "This is probably not going to work." I remember <laughs> I was on a coach journey, a National Express going somewhere. <laughs> um, I can't even tell you where, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's where I did my application, and somehow it worked out. Um, but it really is what you make it. But if it's what you want to do, don't, don't, don't give up. It will mm. work. You just have to. It took me maybe three years before I actually started the PhD to, because you have to find a supervisor, you have to Mm. find a project. And I literally said, well, I want to do children's brain tumors. And I searched children's brain tumors. And the first thing that came up was Children's Brain Tumor Research Center. So that's why I ended up doing my project in Nottingham.
0: Mm. Um,
1: But yeah, it was difficult. Mm. I was often the only black person or the only black woman. Um, At least in my lab, the beauty was at the beginning we were all girls and I'm extremely close to those girls now and I don't know how we'd have gotten through it without each other. Um, But you also have to, um, the imposter syndrome is real, but you also have to kind of um, humble yourself because it's a very, the difficulty I found was in being, a novice again because at the point that I went in you know you're past the f1 f2 you're past ct1 ct2 so you feel like you know what you're doing medically Mm -hmm. so you feel you're at a position where you know you know what you're doing you don't know everything obviously but you can work within your limits of competencies and um, get the job done but this was you know going back learning how to do research techniques learning how to you know reading all these papers about biology that we didn't do necessarily because we did you know just pharmacological physiology mm. stuff that was relevant mm. to the basic you know yeah anatomy and physiology but yeah so you it's it's humbling i will say mm. the phd mm. is very humbling yeah. <laughs> um but i loved it but you have yeah. to love what you're researching otherwise it's not worth it mm. Sure. Mm.
0: i would say that um the fact that you did a laboratory-based phd mm. for, the, for the listeners that is most difficult type of phd to to do Mm -hmm. Um, so you've clearly demonstrated that you were extremely resilient um and you have achieved so much so far because of this resilience and Mm self-belief can i ask has there ever been a point where you've thought to yourself "Mm, this is too hard for me Uh, Mm -hmm. maybe medicine isn't for me
1: yeah lots of times
0: really <laughs> oh, oh yeah gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to hear <laughs> Lots of times.
1: yeah like you know I think um one thing most people will not tell you is failure is a part of life like we a lot of medics um were the creme de la creme back in school and ended up doing you know medicine because they were smart and they were yeah you know they achieved quite high grades that sort of thing mm-hmm. but um I feel like after medical school especially F1 I think is the toughest year because you're getting to grips with the realities of actually being a doctor and your job specification does not cover everything that you do. As a doctor I have (laughs) done all sorts of things that I never thought I would have to do. um, Yeah. And I think it was when I was working in a DGH which was very poorly staffed and Mm -hmm. I had lots of medical patients that were very 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 sick and it was one of those nights where there were just that many people dying that you couldn't even call the registrar because she was with a dying patient Mm -hmm. so you've done Mm -hmm. as much as you can you've done what they've told you to do as well and it's it's the accepting that you know there's a point past which you can't do anything as a doctor and I think yeah. it was that frustration being understaffed um it not being a big deal to my seniors apparently mm-hmm. you you were just expected to cope to deal um and I think it was one of those periods where I was just like what on earth have I gotten myself into yeah. and then you you have another day you know the beauty with medicine and one of the reasons I went into it is every day is different mm-hmm. Even in spite of the fact, yeah, you have war round at a specific time, you do this at a specific time, but every patient is different, every tumor is different, every brain is slightly different, every, yeah. you know, every interaction you'll have is different. So I think um, you'll have hard days, that's for sure. Even in the PhD, I was like, what the hell? In the first year? Oh my God. <laughs> Um, it took (laughs) it takes a village and I think my acknowledgement says it Mm. because I have like three pages where I think it's meant to be one um, of people who just kept me sane um, Um. and especially my husband like god knows how yeah god knows how that's still a thing because uh, (laughs) you need you need someone because here I'm on my own Mm -hmm. Uh, my whole family's back Mm. in Kenya so everything in terms of support is basically on the phone it's it's Um, pretty much on the phone yeah yeah so if it wasn't for him I probably wouldn't be Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have accomplished what I have um but yeah there were lots of times where I felt like I can't do this there Mm -hmm. were times when I was bullied um especially in surgery um okay that was difficult and that made me think well I don't know if I want to become one of these people who are bullying me, Mm. but that was a specific um, type of person and a specific specialty. I think that I have (laughs) very many specific type of people. (laughs) Yeah, right. I think I'm
2: reading between the lines here.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So (laughs) I think there's a lot of things that happen in medicine that happen in life or during medicine that, you know, make you question it. But I think Mm. if you've done it for you, um, then and it'll always get better that's the thing that I know it, it doesn't matter how shit it becomes you know you fail that one exam you do it again you get it through you know and that's one thing people need to talk more about failure is a part of life
2: yeah um, and it
1: doesn't make you a better surgeon or a worse surgeon you know a poor person or poor doctor um, if you fail once at something or twice at something the the point is you got up you picked yourself up you did it right you got it done that's what matters and then you move yeah. on to improving yourself further but, you working towards
2: that goal. yeah yeah yeah, wow. yeah yeah that's really well said <laughs> yeah, yeah it sounds it. like you've had like some really like pressured times within medicine oh, yeah. um, and it just seems like a lot of that as you've mentioned has been supported by the people who are around you and not necessarily physically around you but mm. also on the other other end of the phone too um mm-hmm. and I probably just want to find out a bit more about how you maintain a work life balance um outside of medicine.
1: Huh um I laugh when people say work life balance because I don't <laughs> I don't know. You know that um ad where there's people like running on a log. I don't know if it's Barocco or something like that. Okay. Where they are from a log on a river.
2: Yeah, yeah I've I got the like, image in my head.
1: That's, that's what work-life balance feels like to me. And <laughs> it took me a minute to realize, like, it's not that it's balance in terms of um, an everyday thing, but it's making sure that you're not defined just by your job because that's really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very easy to become, especially when you're doing something that's very... Uh, very encompassing you know I feel like there's some specialties that allow you to be a person outside of that job whereas there's some specialties that just engulf you your personal life your family life (laughs) um but I think it was taking time out in the morning okay um so I used to listen to um you know like inspirational kind of speeches or just taking time out in the morning to do something for myself. It doesn't matter what it was. Sometimes it was, you know, a, a dance party in my room by myself, like yeah. a loser. <laughs> sometimes it was like having coffee outside, you know, just, just a moment for yourself. And I think mm-hmm. that's really important to do on a daily basis because my God, really? does it keep you sane? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what work life balance now means to me. Um, yeah. It's nice if you have friends that you work with at work or people you work with that you're friends with. Yeah. Um, That helps as well because then you can do stuff, you know, you can do, um, you can have social events and things outside of work. Mm -hmm. Um, But having friends outside of medicine also keeps you, um, has kept me um, stable. And taking on things like Taekwondo um, has kind of given me something else to focus on because, like, when everything, when everything's going badly in work for example then having that as something like oh you know and my my master is like fantastic he's always like oh you were what does he say he says um he calls me someone's protege because apparently it took to it really well I didn't know I would I just yeah I just wanted to learn something new and um get better at it mm. and I think going through the phd going through that phase where you know it was humbling and you didn't know what you were doing and then you kind of build up your confidence that's something I think that's really helped to kind of do with taekwondo as well and taking yeah. on things I don't know about and doing them too and so
2: I'm a master of that as well
1: yeah oh, I'd love to man I would whoop my brother I would whoop him <laughs> no, um, yeah
2: that's that's what work-life balance means to me now Mm. yeah and I think you I mean we we had a discussion before as well and I think you were just mentioning mentioning as well how you found that it is something that you've wanted anyway is to kind of manage having a family
1: as well within
2: striving for your academic goals too so yeah
1: I mean yeah I mean I'm married now but I don't have kids yet but once I can get over the, the delivery part, because, you know, they never call <laughs> doctors or medical students to do normal deliveries. It was only the yeah. ones that were going south, literally. That, yeah. That yeah. So, so I think, yeah, um, it's it's doable. You just have to work things around it and you have to be flexible with your timing you have to be flexible with when you achieve certain things you know the Mm. getting married by 25 doing this by that age uh, Mm -hmm. that's nonsense i don't even know who wrote that book (laughs) i don't even know who wrote that book because honestly um a colleague of mine was actually saying the older you are when you get married the more likely you are to stay married Oh, but I think that's just, yeah. yeah, that's just based on the fact you know yourself. I I knew nothing. Like, when I say I was naive and, like, rose-tinted glasses, I was, oof, I was living my life oblivious, you know, when I was much younger. Mm. And I feel like um, it even took me time to mature to the level that I feel like, oh, yeah, I can have someone's life in my hands. And yeah, yeah. Um, And stuff like that. So I think with family, one thing um I was saying to you before in the chat, when I went to speak to a couple of people, so there was a female neurosurgeon in Southampton when I was a medical student there. Yeah. And I it took me months to get a meeting with this lady. Like it took me months. And I thought, God, you know, when I finally get it, it's gonna be earth shattering her advice. It's gonna be, you know, life changing. Yeah. And maybe it was all the expectation I put on it, but When I actually met her, she said two things. She said, um, don't change who you are. And I said, what do you mean? I could be a psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of advice is that? (laughs) um, Yeah, she said, don't change who you are. And she also said, um, you need to have a a support system. Yeah. And, you know, someone else told me, and a lot of male um, seniors in surgery, different specialties have told me, you know, you need to figure out your your home life and then mm-hmm. this is easy and I used to think that was a very sexist thing to say because there's no way they're saying that to my my male colleagues. there is yeah. no way that mm-hmm. they are saying that to my male colleagues like oh yeah figure your home life no yeah. that doesn't even come no. in the conversation so yeah yeah <laughs> so I used to like trip up and I used to feel a type of way about it but I actually feel like um whether or not it's having someone at home with you or having friends or having family you know as long as you have a support system because I think medicine is just one of those things you're dealing with life and death
2: yeah pretty much Mm. on a
1: daily basis Mm. um and especially when mistakes happen you know coroners inquests all that stuff um you you need yeah, you need to have a support system. And I feel like it takes a village, literally takes a village.
2: Yeah.
1: But yeah, so family will happen. It will probably be an new mm. baby. Um, yeah. But yeah, once it happens, we'll just figure it out as we go along. So there's no perfect time to do it. Yet, there is no way. perfect time.
2: Good so, yeah. to know. I mean, you seem to have gained quite a lot of knowledge from the different people that you've interacted with and with through your journey, and um, uh-huh. be it your mentors or people that you've met a bit more casually um and I guess if you were then to be a mentor to yourself in a way and give advice to younger Christine um (laughs) what would you want to know then that would probably have you know been better and like added to your journey or helped you make better decisions
1: um I think hindsight is a two-edged sword Mm -hmm. um you know there are things that I feel like I wish I knew back then that would have changed how you know would have maybe gotten me quicker to where I wanted to be yeah but I also feel like um it's a very dangerous thing to say that you should have you know you should do this you should do that at certain times so all I would tell myself is to trust myself and Mm. to stop waiting for someone to tell me that I'm not going to be a neurosurgeon Mm. because that's the one thing I cannot until today like Somewhere in the back of my mind is like this little girl looking at herself in a mirror, waiting for someone to say, Oh, no, 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 you're not suited to this job, you know? Mm. And I think that's the imposter syndrome talking. But yes. um, I would honestly say to myself, You know, you've got this, you're good at what you do um there's things you can work on there's a lot of things that you mm-hmm. you don't just you're not born a wonderful ex- excellent clinician you know these Nobody things are developed, is, yeah, time. yeah. Mm-hmm. and I think I used to put quite a lot of pressure on myself for getting things wrong for, mm-hmm. for not seeing something for trusting yes. someone and they betray me so I'd be I would be a bit more forgiving to myself I would tell myself um yeah that things will happen when they're meant to yeah and um you know, what's for you is for you. It doesn't yeah. matter what else is going on, it's for you. Yeah. And even if I take the scenic route, just enjoy it. Because I did. I definitely did enjoy my scenic route. Um mm. So, yeah, and I would also tell myself, medical student, as a medical student, travel more. Yeah. My travel. God, travel more, travel more explore yeah. more. Mm. Go to all those conferences, get them paid for,
2: because you don't need to spend <laughs> mm. your money. Mm. Did not know uh,
1: that. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's ways, <laughs> there's money out there, so you don't need to spend your money mm. to do those things. Um, and once you know what your strength is, like, go for it, you know, yeah. go for it with blinkers on because mm. everyone will tell you everything about competition ratios and, you know, the likelihoods and the realities. And I think to do to be ambitious, you somewhat have to be um irrational yeah. <laughs> Okay,
0: A little it. bit crazy.
1: Yeah. A tiny you bit do, crazy. You? you do, because you do something that I've I I at the time when I decided I wanted to do neurosurgery I didn't know of any black female neurosurgeons yeah. I hadn't any I didn't know of any black female neurosurgeons with PhDs I didn't know you know I didn't I couldn't even see myself opening someone's head you know I couldn't yeah wow so <laughs> I think you have to you have to kind of be uh what's the word you have to be, like, engulfed by it. You just have to, if it's what you want to do, mm. then you go for it. No matter yeah. what people will say, what they want. Oh, my God, you will hear it all. Like, everyone has something to say.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so yes. I feel like, yeah, I would tell myself, you know, take listen to people, take what's what's helpful, leave mm. what isn't.
0: Yes. Um,
1: and don't put all your eggs in one basket in terms of, you know, trusting what people say and things yes.
0: like that. I think yeah. that's
1: what I would tell myself.
0: I think that's excellent advice, Christine. Yeah, Um, (laughs) no. um, I really do, and I think if we could look at the future, Mm. I'm sure you would predict there to be more black female neurosurgeons, more academic female surgeons. Yeah. Um, But I don't want to put words in your mouth. (laughs) 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 What do you think the future should look like? in
1: your yeah. specialty it's like conditioning my mom does that very <laughs> <good>. <laughs> it's hard, I, say it. It. I think, I
2: think
1: it's in my ridiculous. specialty I think um uh what do I think is gonna happen I think well most doctors finishing medical school are female yeah yeah I think the future of neurosurgery is female whether it's 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 you know whether people like it or not Mm. um I feel like um there's certain things that as a female doctor you can do easier than a male doctor sometimes Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, and I'm yet to find something that I cannot do that a male doctor can
0: yeah lovely
1: so um yeah I've you know it's during some orthopedic jobs where I felt like damn I need to go to the gym you know kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) when your arms are shaking and you're supposed to hold that retractor or you know that stuff but like
0: Thing. everything
1: is doable you can figure everything is figure outable. that was something I heard on one of um Oprah's shows but mm-hmm. like yeah I think um I, I I worry that we're gonna have to get to a crisis before it gets better because of how things mm-hmm. are going in the NHS mm-hmm. but I do think that neurosurgery will become more female and I think I'm very passionate about saying to everyone like Please, your being female is not a handicap. Like, You have no idea how how suited you are to a Korean surgery, how suited yeah. you are to a Korean medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah, I think it's going to be female. Yeah, well, we'll be I have a feeling we'll just be like, ah, screw this and go somewhere else. But, <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: I'm sure <laughs> there'll be many who <laughs> so, can yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's so
0: brilliant.
2: Thank you, um, Christine. Christine there's so there's so much more I could pick out and like what we've spoken <laughs> about and I just wish we had like five hours to have a really long conversation oh <laughs> I echo that I just want to thank you so much for your time like enlightening us enlightening the audience and like all the details of your journey as well and just a bit of more about how you fell in love with medicine um and I think, I, I mean, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. yeah it, was, it was really good. It was really nice getting to know you and seeing the faces behind the names. Yes, yeah, yes. Um, yes. I, yes. yeah, I'm really, I was very honoured to be asked to be in the podcast. I was actually hoping to help behind the scenes. So when I got the, the <laughs> no. email, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, but, um, no. yeah it's a pleasure. It really has been.
0: And I'm, I must say, just you know, as a fellow surgeon myself, mm-hmm. to um, to you that we all from Ellen Medics we wish you the absolute best in your career. Mm-hmm. It's obvious that your future's bright, and it's obvious that you're going to inspire. I think I would say internationally, not just yes. England, but Aww. Africa and beyond. And um, oh, it's just great that we got you on our podcast Best. before you become globally, <laughs> globally amazing. So
2: thank That's you for grating us
0: for
2: oh, <laughs> this experience. We're
0: honoured. We're
2: honoured. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> i can't wait to share that link like amazing female black <laughs> neurosurgeon oh god i'm gonna be
1: cringing about some of the things i said i'm sure <laughs> oh,
2: you heard it here true. first
1: <laughs> oh no it's honestly been a pleasure it really yeah,
2: has no, no, nice. brilliant <laughs> all right so i guess we'll, we'll sign out we'll say goodbye um so it's goodbye from me Tenny. Um,
0: and goodbye from me michaela
2: No, and goodbye for me, Christine. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this Black History Month Podcast edition, brought to you by Melanin Medics. We hope you have enjoyed this interview and have been inspired to fall in love with medicine too. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to our podcast and social media pages.